Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode today, self-regulation and the relaxation response. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio. Hello and welcome to another uh, podcast slash video of Fusion Health Radio. Uh, once again, um, I'm in studio with Dr. Michael Smith. Uh, well, not really in studio, uh, on Zoom uh, at a distance. Thanks, coronavirus. We're doing what we can to record um, and be socially distance, distant. Uh, Michael, how are you today? I'm just aware that I miss you, brother, but I'm doing okay. I'm having a pretty good uh, quarantine, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, aren't we all? Um, introducing video into the podcast has given us a little bit more uh, notoriety and a whole lot more fun. Uh, for those of you who are actually tuning in with video, uh, I'm actually, do you recognize this galaxy behind me? Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit more interesting than the, uh, the green wall that I'm usually in front of. Anthony's way out there, man. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. Uh, we're having all kinds of fun. We're recording uh, once again with a topic today that hopefully is going to uh, give you a better sense of yourself and maybe a little bit more um, calm with regards to how things are going these days. Uh, things being what they are around this pandemic, lockdown, quarantine, coronavirus episode. Um, Michael is somebody that I've talked to for a few years about health and nutrition and lifestyle. And I'd say that he's certainly somebody who knows a thing or two about uh, relaxation, um, things being what they are. With what Michael knows around Chinese medicine, plus his practice of Qigong for 40 years, and I'm, I'm putting a question behind that, 40 years, Michael, you're not, you're not just, you're just over 50. Really? You started that early with Qigong? I started at 10. It was pretty rudimentary stuff. And then I had a really classical teacher from the time I was 17, where I actually committed to, uh, training formally in Taoism, so it became, it's been 35 years of daily uh, inquiry into the nature of consciousness and embodiment and breath and movement and that stuff. So yeah, it's one of the biggest passions in my life actually. And that's why I hung up my fun poster in, in the background today for those on the video, uh, just to remind us that uh, a lot of the things we're gonna get into today uh, come from as far back as the shamanic indigenous practices uh, in Asia about 7,000 years ago. Hmm. You know, so, so it's uh, tried and true. If there's a word for it, tried and yeah, true. Yeah, this isn't uh, this isn't a new idea. No, uh, it, it, it's just a, a new reason to pay attention to uh, an, an existing idea for sure. Uh, well, the we we've talked about regulation in different podcasts before in terms of how body physiology actually does what it does to um, organize its functions and do things in the right possible way. Um, but the word self-regulation is different for me. Uh, I thought that you could actually explain what that is. What does it actually mean? Well, self-regulation has to do with your subjective experience. Now, I think we all have a sense of what that kind of sort of implies, but a lot of us, I think we kind of almost like the way we scroll on our phones, you know, or watch social media stuff. When we think of self um, subjective experience in that way, it's something that's sort of over there, but it's actually in here but it's not something that's really present to our mind. It's something our mind just sort of checks on, you know, oh, I can breathe, oh yeah, I'm still standing up, I'm not that hungry, I have to go pee. So we have sort of basic functioning aspects of uh, self-awareness or subjective experience. Uh, 
But until you're practicing things that bring your attention into the details and the present moment, it's something that's sort of subconscious. I mean, it's there, but unless you're really looking at it and, I don't know, nibbling on it or sniffing it in some way to know what it's doing, um, again, it's kind of subconscious. And my, my favorite way to introduce this subject is actually from, um, I think he's from Europe. Uh, his name was Master Eichhardt, and he has this beautiful quote that goes, all beings come into being in a state of being. Say that again. All beings come into being in a state of being. In a state of being. Huh. Now, that's about the most obvious thing you could say in a way. It's like all beings are breathing because they're not dead. But, <laughs> but when you actually kind of sit into that sense of inquiry about, well, what does state of being really mean? I mean, we're all coming into being because we're still alive. Uh, we're coming into being in a state of being, but how many different emotional possibilities are there in your state of being? How many different qualities of posture, of adaptability, of playfulness, of seriousness, of uh, how, what would be the palette of anger in the world? I mean, we could probably write a PhD thesis on just the top 500 different qualities of anger. So when we think of state of being, it's a pretty broad thing, but the, the point of that statement is if all beings come into being in a state of being and you become aware of your state of being that's your default and you begin to do something about it, you're now free as an experiential being in the world because you can begin to choose your state of being. The, okay, so I'm getting a little bit mixed up with the whole way that this is being uh, described and I want to see if I can uh, sound it out um, in hopes that you can correct me and make sure that we're both on the same page with this idea because <laughs> it sounds like you're suggesting that it's possible for me to pay attention to the autonomic things that go on in my body like my breathing, my posture, um, like be, being aware of what it is my body does instead of just sort of mindlessly going through my day and not paying attention to it? I, I would say that's part one, is you can pay attention to your autonomic sense of being. Okay. So part it, two, and uh, I don't want you to do this right now because we're both wearing earbuds, but if you were to spend 10 minutes rubbing your ears and pulling on your ears, you would induce a parasympathetic response in your nervous system. So now you're not only paying attention to your autonomic self, you're actually adjusting your autonomic state of physiology or your state of being. Okay. Um, somewhere between what you're saying and how I'm getting it, there's a bit of a gap. Not a big one, but there's still enough of one that I'm thinking that the listener might be um, uh, feeling that too. So some, let, let, let's see if this makes sense. Can you tell me what uh, if there's such a thing? Um, if there's self-regulation, is there dysregulation? Can you tell me what it's not? <laughs> so that I can better understand what it is? Uh, yeah, but I want to get a little bit more clear on self-regulation before I get into where it goes wrong. Okay, okay. But that, that's a really good intuitive way to go. Um, what I do want to just bring up is the... Well, this is kind of going in that direction of what dysregulation looks like, but... Um, I want to give people a sense of parameters first. Okay. Because then, then it, there's sort of more, like I said, like a palette of, of uh, 
opportunities and choices. So let's say that uh, for people who are listening and or watching, I'm going to pretend that I have a, a, pen, a ruler. <clears throat> I don't know if you ever, people still use rulers in school, but so imagine that I have a wooden ruler that it's balanced on my finger right in front of me. And that there's say 12 inches. Yeah, like you're right now, you're holding a pencil on, on, on the video. So okay. good, good luck balancing that if, if you can, that'd be awesome. We're all watching. Drum roll, please. <laughs> You're making <laughs> so me nervous. So I'm going to imagine that I have 12 inches of ruler on the left and 12 inches of ruler on the right of my finger. Okay. And I'm not using a real ruler because I'd probably drop it too. So <laughs> if I was to go as far to the left um, or into the danger of dysregulation, um, from the sense of self-regulation being kind of there's the middle and then the really bad and the really not bad. If I was to go as far to the left or to the bad side of that, we're talking about a person who's having a panic attack, who's so enraged that they're borderlining psychotic behavior, or they're so anxious that they're, you know, again, panic attack or uh, feeling like they're going into psychosis. Or a person who's so deeply depressed and unable to reorient themselves that they're actually thinking and planning a suicide. Mm. So I just want to, it's a bit late to say trigger warning, but um, as we get into the subject, it's going to be a bit of an investigation about how and why people get really disoriented to the point where they might feel suicidal or psychotic or having a panic attack. So if you're a person who doesn't want to get into the details of that, then maybe uh, wait till you're with a friend to listen to this episode or to watch this video, because we are going to have to be a bit surgical about where things can go wrong. So again, I've got my ruler balanced on my finger, way over here, 12 inches to the left. We're looking at panic attacks, psychotic breaks and suicidal thought. So that's not self-regulation at all. Now, if I was to come back to the middle where my finger is, you know, that would actually be what I think we would call your parasympathetic or your rest digest physiology or just normal state of, yeah, I'm feeling okay. I don't feel out of whack. I'm not depressed. I'm not anxious. I'm not angry. I'm not afraid. I'm just, you know, doing the dishes or having a shower or, you know, drawing a picture or whatever we do when we're in a relatively... Uh, non-excited state. So the other end of the scale would be 12 inches to the right, which could be um, deep, profound, meditative stillness. And you might have to practice for, well, I'm not saying 40 years, but you might have to practice for more than five minutes before you can rely on meditative stillness, if, still, if stillness is your jam. <laughs> to, not to say in the cool way. Um, there's like say the trance or shamanic breath work where you're actually changing your physiology by going so deep into the core function of your body with breath work that you're actually going in and out of an almost dream state or a visionary state or a mild hallucinatory state, which would be as far away from stress and anxiety, uh, hopefully as you can get, unless you maybe take it too far. So I, I just want to bring the scale of possible states of being into the awareness of, of people who are uh, joining us for this experience so that we don't all just aim for the middle because this is a lot about momentum. You know, if self-regulation had a title, it would basically go something like, how long does it take you to accept your present state? 
If you can accept your present state, how long does it take you to adjust your expectations and reactions so that you're no longer unaware of what's driving your present state? And then, how long does it take you to invest in some kind of patience or wisdom teaching or practice to actually shift your state so tangibly that you can trust it as a practice for the rest of your life? Because that's, that's really the, the skill set that we're getting into is self-regulation is not automatic. Being kind of in the middle ground is, is less stressful than going to the left around you know, anxiety. But our, our core capacity as human beings is to be almost like shamans. But if you don't invest in any time of your, your day or your life or your uh, experiential life into the opposite of panic attacks and psychotic rage, you're just waiting to see how bad your life is going to get in a way from, from say a meditator's point of view. Because once you realize that you can shift the entire momentum or the entire scale of your predictive life, and how you respond to really upsetting moments, then you're kind of like a Jedi. You know, you're really changing the rules because you're actually doing the internal push-ups or actually the push-ups, because push-ups are a great way to go if, if you don't want to sit still. Um, now you have a toolbox, right? And that's so different than just sort of waiting to see what the opposite of self-regulation looks like uh, based on your childhood or your upbringing and stuff like that. So this idea of self-regulation then, um... Are you suggesting that this is, uh, for lack of a better word, a missing vitamin in our diet? Like vitamin as, M. As, as is vitamin M for meditation. Meditation, mindfulness, mojo, meaning. And it's not necessarily something we can buy off the shelf. Uh, well, you can pay for a class. I think that's usually one of the best places to start is to find a... Uh, uh, mentor sorry i'm going for the m is for fun right now um because you know you want to trust the process and if you're learning from someone who um really seems to be living the teachings that they're offering then you have a mentor someone you can really get the get the practical uh experience from because they, they seem to really know what they're doing because they're living it hmm. you know and there's also youtube i mean there's a how, how many gurus and bodhisattvas and uh, meditation teachers and yoga teachers and qigong teachers have thousands of hours of content that uh, 20 years ago you'd probably have to go to another country to learn right and now it's just a click away right so so first thing for people is notice there's a scale and aiming for the middle is kind of passive aiming to the right is is actually aiming towards the shamanic or the jedi or the the kung fu or kind of the martial arts experience of of preparing yourself for when well things like global pandemics show up and you're locked in your house for a month or something like that and maybe there's another month to go yeah i i was just sort of sitting with that thought in my idea in my brain as you, as you were saying that that this seems like a very appropriate thing to be uh, aware of um, all things being equal right now, we're all sort of suffering the same sort of um, lockdown. We're, we're all sort of uh, behind the same um, front door to our homes, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and this just sounds like, um, I don't know, there was just something about what you said. when it, it felt relaxing knowing that this is actually something that I can do for myself, um, um, especially now. 
Especially um, now, and, and that's why I'm really glad we're doing this series of kind of unofficial official podcasts and, and, you know, Zoom videos for people is we're all in this together and we all have a lot of decisions to make. And as far as I can tell, nobody really knows exactly what's going on in the sense of what different people are telling us is going on from the government to conspiracies to, you know, authority people from all over the world. So, you know, it might be nice to know for sure what's really happening, but that just adds another, I don't know, bee in the bonnet of your stress. You know, mm. it's one thing to be in quarantine and to find the challenge of where, where you live uh, to get the food you need and the supplies you need and to find the patience to be with your family if you're locked in with your whole family 24-7 or if you don't like being alone and you're locked in alone. Um, you know, that in itself is a kind of trauma for, for humans to be unable to have any kind of way to, you know, meet your needs. If your need is personal space and you can't get it, you're going to start acting differently. You know, and, and I don't want to bring up more triggers, but the number of domestic violence, you know, attacks in the world is going up, not down. Right. Right. So, you know, we're all kind of being pushed around by the bees inside the mind and inside the environment you're in. So too many people, not enough people, we're all adapting to something new. And again, we don't all really understand the big picture enough to really feel like we're in it together. So I'm trying to bring people's attention to the fact that we're in it together no matter what, because how we choose to collaborate and how we choose to self-regulate and um, use this opportunity to really grow more deeply as collectives, as communities and as individuals, um, the more we're gonna get from this experience no matter what's really going on in the background. So if, if, if that's true, then, is there some sort of um, aspect to ourselves that you see? Um, I mean, we, we talked about that just briefly about the idea of dysregulation. Are you suggesting that if if one was dysregulated, things would show up in a certain way, uh, like a predictable certain way? Well, that's a really great segue into the next thing I was going to bring up, because dysregulation happens in three different ways. Such as? We either have an instinctual response, which is precognitive, it's behind your mind, it's what we call your lizard brain, and it's caught up in your, your musculoskeletal self, your, your shoulders, uh, the way you hold your knees, the way you clench your butt, the way you clench your jaw, it's, it's the clenchy parts, there's a lot of clenching going on. <laughs> okay. The lizards aren't that smart, you know, they don't really have a lot of options. So when we have that visceral, raw, instinctual fight, flight, freeze response, that's happening, and this is so weird to say, but it's happening before your mind. But anything that happens before your mind tells your mind what's going on. So we have this, you know, little switch in our brain that's like out of dial, you know, and you're not, un unless you're fairly well trained in something, you don't really have control over that dial. So you watch a conspiracy video or your kid breaks your favorite bowling trophy or whatever, and that dial starts to crank up. What you're doing with your internal dialogue is up to that dial, unless you're trained on how to change the connection between talking mind and lizard mind. Mm. So the first thing to be aware of is we're all walking around basically riding an alligator. <laughs> I call mine Larry. It's good to talk to your, your lizard brain, Larry the lizard, you know, sometimes because that's actually a tool we call voice dialoguing where you communicate to your, you know, your inner animals. So we're all triggered in dysregulation instinctually, and we all know that we have to come down from that. I mean, that's basically what people, you know, 
Apparently alcohol is an essential service. It's one of the things that still, you can just call people up and booze me now. And I'm not mocking people, I used to drink, so I'm not making fun of that, but I'm just saying um, our go-to to the lizard brain is to drown it with something like alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, or with, you know, uh, Netflix or with other distraction, because if we don't know how to adjust the Larry the Lizard dial, we don't. And I'm not judging people. I mean, I have days when I'm losing it just like everybody. It doesn't matter if you've been doing Qigong for 140 years. I mean, when you're losing it, it's 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 today. <laughs> you just you miss the dial. Right. So if we can all have the humor and the humility to, to actually feel into our body, feel into the ways we habitually hold ourselves stressful in, in distress, then you have a doorway to do something about it. And I'm going to talk about kind of how to do that in, in maybe about a half hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you said there were three things, right? Yep. That's one. So second one is what you would call your visceral stress or your intuitive stress. Now, we're going to probably need to do an episode on the polyvagal system because if you want to understand the dynamic between human interaction and Uh, conversation and facial expression and tone of voice and body language and all the stuff we pick up from each other kind of subconsciously but kind of consciously um, it's another thing you have to learn to to be aware of now here's an interesting fact and I know I've said this on on the show before um, between 60 and 65 percent of any any conversation that's happening between two people 65 percent of the information that's shared is body language facial expression tone of voice because it informs you of the underlying vibe or feel or meaning of the conversation. And we can all usually tell when we're talking to someone who's in a disoriented place because they're trying to con us or they're lying or they're trying to be tricky in some way. And we can all feel it. And that's actually called neuroception. It's a measurable, scientifically accessible part of our brain. We all, we all call it intuition, but... Um, it's 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 now a known thing. So intuition is no longer woo-woo. It's just called neuroception. And what's interesting about that is Larry comes in two-tenths of a second before you have a thought. What I call Mary the monkey, the part of us that likes to gossip and get along and get our grooming from each other, the polyvagal self informs us of the content of our experience one-tenth of a second before you can have a thought. It's the thinking that happens before the thinking? Well, it's more like the intuitive knowingness or sense of things. And before you say anything, you, you're, you're going to kind of be like, ah. and then you start you know, answering a question or asking a question. But there's a part of you that's like, I don't know if that's the right way to go with this. Or maybe, oh, I know this is the right way to go with this. Or maybe oh, you're really a manipulative person or maybe a really good communicator. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Um, and you're using that neuroceptive awareness to feel into the conversation to be more skillful, hopefully as a communicator, not as a manipulator. But that, that's a big part of being human. But it's also to be aware of we're all riding Larry the Lizard and we're all listening to Mary the Monkey 24-7, and then we think about what it is that they've told us to feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, that that's just the rules of being human, I'm. <laughs> I didn't make up the rules. <laughs> uh, I had a conversation with one of my roommates the other day about uh, headmail, and headmail is the um, 
I don't know where I, I picked up that word. I don't even know if I, if I made it up, but headmail is knowing that I'm going to get a text message before I get the text message because I can actually feel something in the air that actually says, hmm, wait a minute, and then I look at my phone, and then, bing, the notification comes up. Yeah, you might call that the, the um, neuroception of the matrix. You know, we're, we're all connected in different ways now, so I think we reach into that same part of our intuitive self through uh, our previous experience of, say, texting. We, we can just sense when something's off. Mm -hmm. The question is, if you're aware that something's off, are you going to go deeper into yourself so that you're better at communicating? Or are you going to start reacting unconsciously because, hey, man, something's off? Because then we reach for control or impatience or fear. Right. So, so the whole idea of self-regulation is we're all Jedis and shamans and Kung Fu masters in a way. If we can get really deeply into the the non-reactive, the, the non-impatient, the the non-controlling self, right? Interesting. Um, number three. Number three, we're on it today. This is a tricky one, but it has to do with your existential uh, experience of life. Okay. So existential, you could call it spiritual, you could call it um, an atheist version of spiritual, but it has to do with your sense of meaning, your sense of trust of, of the, the world, your sense of faith, if you have faith or a faith, so that when you actually have to rely on something and you're relying on not the lizard brain and not the monkey brain, but the actual you in the world that wants some kind of ground to stand on, to move ahead with your life, to move ahead with a decision, to get through another six hours of being alone or six hours in a dysfunctional marriage uh, or whatever is going on. <laughs> you know, just keep saying trigger warning. <laughs> um, that's our existential self because we, we need to have um, a way to trust ourselves, and, and sometimes that, that we need a mirror for that in the mind, you know, like I've been studying Taoism formally since I was 17. I'm actually translating the Tao Te Ching because I'm stuck in my house for a couple of months. And I'm like, well, I've been wanting to do this for 20 years. I might as well do it now. And, you know, that, that book is all about what it's like to move through the world with a kind of wisdom that's very simple, a kind of ethical, moral way of being in the world that doesn't have a lot of rules. There's actually no rules at all. It just reminds us that you have to be mindful and, and patient and collaborative to really get along and get things done. So whatever we need to within each person who's watching or listening, in no way am I suggesting that there's any rules that I could share or any wisdom teaching that I could tell you. <clears throat> That's not really how I, I want to be in the world. But if you have any deep truth that you actually know deep within yourself, if it's you know the truth that love is the, the guiding force of all being or whatever your truth is, Put that on a cue card and keep it in your pocket so that when Larry the Lizard and Mary the Monkey are pooing all over your brain with their instinctual shenanigans, you can look at your cue card or your teachings or your guru or your altar and go, I know how to place myself in the world and move through the world with meaning and trust and faith or, or with uh, a sense of confidence in, in, in something. Even if it's just going to the gym and tell you sweat more than the last time you were there. Hmm. I mean, I for me, that's one of my go-to things. If I'm having a really bad time in my life, I just go and train. I, I, I don't want to figure it out in my head. I want to figure it out by being disciplined and discerning and, and in my body because my mind is not really mine right now. It's off doing its own thing. 
Well, I mean, I guess I'm just trying to be as honest as I can as a communicator. I mean, when you say, oh yeah, I've been doing Qigong and martial arts for 40 years, people might project onto that some kind of control, and this is never about control. It's about being present and conscious and, and true to yourself. And if your mind is running around with shenanigans, do something with your body. Hmm. Uh, somewhere in that, it just makes me think of the word fidget. And um, <laughs> I haven't seen you at the meetings lately, but uh, I put myself <laughs> on the list. <laughs> sure. Well, th th no, it, in order for me to get information, in order for me to actually um, really be present with whatever it is that's going on, um, movement is important, which is always a challenge whenever it is we record these podcasts, because I'm really tuned into what you're saying, listening. Um, and especially now with video, I actually have to watch. Um, uh, but I'm also aware of the fact that I've got a laptop in front of me and that if I'm doing my typical fidgety kind of thing, it may be distracting to the viewer. Um, listeners can't hear, see me fiddling with this pencil that's in my hand, <laughs> but viewers can. <clears throat> so this, this idea of self-regulation and dysregulation, I'm getting that. What I'm, um, what I'm doing right here with all this information is like, oh wow, it's it's like <laughs> it's like like those commercials. Is self-regulation right for you? You know, <laughs> like who is this actually for? Who's who's the person that needs to actually pay attention to this this sort of thing? Well, is there just, like... well now I'm gonna I'm I'm feeling a little um, I'm just conscious that what I'm gonna say next may seem like I'm shining a flashlight on you or I in a way that um, is not my intention or that, that I might be shining this flashlight on anyone else. But I think that's a really poignant and very important thing to bring up because pretty much every person who has the biggest challenges, myself included, and I'm trying to be as vulnerable and honest as I can, we're all in, I think I said in the last podcast, we're in the biggest AA meeting in the history of the world. We're all just sitting in rooms being honest with each other, I hope. Mm -hmm. uh, the people who have the hardest time self-regulating and who need a skill are the people who had the least regulated childhoods, the most traumatic childhoods, the, the least safe environments or the most uh, erratic environments around getting your needs met. You did talk about that in the last podcast where you talked about how, um, how we develop as humans, um, how our, our, found, our foundational things are, are uh, created, if you will, um, or put into place, if you will. Uh, up until the age of eight. Mm -hmm. And so are you suggesting that um, that's where um, dysregulation starts, if things there aren't, aren't formed in the, in the sort of quote-unquote right way? Well, I would say from zero to eight is the Larry the Lizard instinctual part the most. And then if it really keeps going in the sense of um, an unsafe, uh, unpredictable environment, from eight till about 12, 13, then that's gonna really affect more your social, visceral, intuitive, marry the monkey self. Because after eight years old, you're trying to negotiate with your parents more with language and behavior. So you're gonna either get trust of that because it starts working, or you're gonna mistrust that kind of regulation because it's not working. And then after about 14, 15, that's when the existential part happens because we separate ourselves from our parents around meaning because we all want to be cool like the kids in high school or whatever. So our early existential self is what I identify with as cool. You know, if it's a certain kind of music or a certain kind of clothes or, I mean, I have no idea what it's like now with Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. But um, although I could, 
I just wrote a PhD thesis in my head about how that's going for a lot of young people right now. <laughs> but just in the sense of uh, how we form our existential selves. So uh, I would just encourage anyone who is going to consider, you know, developing a self-regulation practice, start with some self-reflection around your childhood, around 0 to 8, 8 to 12, 12 to 16, 17, and just sort of ask yourself, where were you the, the most supported and safe and uh, nurtured and fed and clothed and listened to? And uh, I mean, most kids just want to be seen doing something, which is why the end, if they're drawing on the a picture on the floor or something like that, you know, they're doing what they're doing, but they want someone to watch them do it. So if you are abandoned emotionally as a kid uh, in any way, that's also a big trigger for people is no one's ever seen me as me, so who am I? Mm. So there's so many parts to what uh, can alter who it is our, our true self might have turned out to be based on our childhood, and that's why we're going to be so much more prone to dysregulation. Right. Um, the, the the word that comes through my, my mind uh, when you when you talk about that, especially around uh, childhood issues, is um, uh, self-adjusted. Like so, somebody who's actually got a, um, uh, some sort of a decent sense of themselves because they had a, because they had a decent sense of themselves as they were growing up. Yeah. Um, so so if I get you right, you're you're suggesting that um, uh, the person that needs to again. That might be a strong word, but need this person that needs to really pay attention to this sort of thing is the person who never had it in the first place. Yeah, yeah and I mean the the working definition around self regulation in the textbook sense is: Can you take a pause between a feeling and an action? Hmm. And if your childhood was out of control, your environment left no time between feelings and actions because it was so out of control. So you're not familiar with that. That basic equation to life. <clears throat> Interesting. And, and there's one really other poignant part, and maybe this is more about the existential part than anything, but I think the most powerful thing that um, comes to mind is that I'm trying to put this into the clearest terms I can, but if you start to act in a way in the world that's in accordance with something you deeply hold as true, and that becomes your guiding light for decision making or the pause between feelings and actions, that's the defining characteristic of maturity. You know, in the sense that as an adult, I'm choosing to act in accordance with my self respect and, and my sense of what respect looks like in life. But if I don't have a lot of self-respect or self-trust or trust in the world, I can't even begin to have that conversation with myself. So how can I have a deep sense of values to, to rely on in, in difficult situations when I haven't even gotten to step one, which is I need to find some values and meaning because I, I, you know, I know that they're missing. If you don't know they're missing or you don't care that they're missing, <clears throat> why would you even bother? It, it, no, one, no one with in that situation is still listening to this podcast because they're like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm not judging people if you're, you know, if you're in that situation, uh, hopefully in a couple of years you'll come back and listen to that, that this podcast and say, well, maybe it's time for me to actually rearrange that stuff. Right. Because well, well, that's self-confidence self and self-esteem are made of consistent behavior. Well, I, I was just going to say that um, it sounds like there's a process involved to actually get started with this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you just sort of alluded to it there. So um, is that something you want to get into? Like, is there sort of a, a recipe or a protocol to actually... Well, there, there's some practical things I'm going to share in a couple of minutes, but I wanted to bring up a, a kind of a list of possibilities and then a, a teasing kind of approach to bring people into what would work for them. Okay. So let's say, so for, in my experience, things like Qigong and meditation and martial arts and uh, any kind of exercise, those are my go-to things. And obviously there's yoga, uh, there's a lot of breath work that's being taught now. Um, There's a thousand different things that are, I'm thinking of Pilates as a way of really core tone and articulation and and coordination that's so focused on on subtle detail and and, uh, core movement that it's like a kind of yoga or a kind of qigong. Uh, Whatever your go-to thing is, it has to be something that you actually have a a reason to connect with. It has to matter. You know, so ask yourself, who is the one who needs to go into this? Am I a gym rat? Am I a a yoga uh, uh, aficionado or, you know, do I really want, you know, to get into the stillness of meditation or maybe go into the stillness of a sensory deprivation tank? Or do I want to run around in circles, you know, juggling chainsaws, you know, like fidget, you know, in the sense of we have to start with being honest with ourselves about how we decompress from stress and trust that intuition. Because I mean, I think of people that, you know, say people who fidget a lot and, you know, if they're coming into the clinic or they come into a class and they want to do something, I'm going to say, okay, most of the class we're going to stand still and focus on our bones. The three people over there are going to do this funny little movement we call wave hands like clouds and then you're going to walk in circles because standing still for you is going to be hell. So I'm not going to ask you to do that. I, I would put myself in that group of three. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, that, that's, that's why I'm bringing this up is um, we have to be authentic with our own style of meditation or self-regulation or um, we're basically trying to control ourselves in a non-intuitive way. And we have this lizard we're riding around and this monkey who keeps throwing crap at our face, you know, in, in the sense of our visceral and our sting- instinctual self telling us, you know, that we have to be more in control. So by choosing something that's not intuitively you, you're you're trying to control instincts and visceral things with something that somebody else made up a thousand years ago or something, and you're going to go bat poop crazy. Mm. So I, I really think it's so important to encourage people, start with what you love to do, start with what you trust, start with what works. Okay. And that in itself seems like a very... Um... A peaceful, loving, honest thing to do, anyways, which almost seems like if I'm going to self regulate and if I'm going to move towards a place of being more at home within myself, then go in a way that actually works for you, right? Well, I'm just reflecting on how much I love putting on the gloves and hitting a heavy bag. So I'm trying to get around that peaceful, loving part and go, well, yeah. <laughs> but well, at the same time, you know, it's yeah. good to work out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think last time we talked, we talked about how important steering wheels are. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what we're actually talking about, is for each of us to find the steering wheel that steers us away from the bat poop, you know, and, and gets us into the place where we feel uh, that we're doing our life our way, you know, in, in enough of a way that we can shake off the, the heebie-jeebies or the, the, the distress, you know. And then self-regulation becomes something you can trust. And if you really have a lot going on, then 
we'll get into, you know, in, in a minute, some actual skills you can play with so you have other reference points for how your self-regulation practice is going. It sounds, it sounds like this whole idea, the steering wheel idea makes me think of uh, steering towards something um, that you want to, as opposed to um, driving with a, I don't know, uh, driving a route that you've driven a thousand times before and you're not even paying attention to where you're going. You're actually driving with some kind of intention. Like yeah, maybe, maybe driving... it's a balance between driving away from something and driving towards something at the same time. Hmm. Or maybe there's a ratio that sometimes you really feel like you're getting away from the stressor or sometimes you're moving towards something of value. But I think it's, you know, Tuesday's like, you know, more one way, Wednesday's more another way uh, in the sense of why we're steering or why we need to steer. But I, I totally appreciate the metaphor because, yeah, automatic is that that middle of the ruler where we think we're OK, but we're just waiting tick, tick, tick for the moment where we feel like we're going to lose it. So uh, the idea with this is to go the other way, to really do whatever deep dive you need to to build the skill set to have the self-care and the self-awareness to, to know that in the middle of a global pandemic in whatever situation that's really digging away at your, your triggers, you can still be the person who's steering towards the, the result you need to find, you know, the balance and, and the awareness you need to find. Mm -hmm. um, you said there's a number of steps, yeah? Well, um, I guess I would say steps as... Um, yeah, but the steps are within uh, an opportunity. So uh, what I'm going to ask anyone who's listening or watching to do is to pretend that you're holding on to a pumpkin or a watermelon or uh, an animal that, for whatever reason, you feel makes you very comfortable. Imagine that you're going to take a breath and as you inhale, you're going to pick up the pumpkin, but you're going to pick it up as if it's really heavy. Okay, so let's inhale and pick up this really heavy pumpkin. And we're going to hold on to it for a little bit. And then as we let the breath out, we're going to actually have the weight of the heavy pumpkin just drop our shoulders and drag our body kind of open and draw it open. So ah, just relax and let the breath out. And get that feeling that you're actually allowing the weight to lengthen out the muscles of your upper body. That makes sense? So let's try that again, but do it in parts. So we're going to breathe in half and then the other half and then breathe out half and then the other half. And if you can, try and make fun of yourself as if you're acting out a really stressful moment. It's a playful thing to do. Try not to get all caught up with anything more than, I think the word is a caricature, you know, cartoons that are kind of like an exaggeration of stuff. So what I'm going to do is pick up my heavy pumpkin <laughs> But I'm going to do it in a way that it mimics the way I actually really hold on to stress when I'm about ready to, like, need to go to the gym or something, right? So we're going to inhale halfway and imitate that stress. And then we're going to imitate the rest of the way and feel into the emotion. And then we're going to exhale and let the weight of the pumpkin release the tension out of our body. And then we're going to exhale the rest of the way and just let the emotion go as you drop the pumpkin. <sighs> Once more, pick up the pumpkin, inhale halfway, imitate your stress, inhale the rest of the way, feel into the emotion, let the pumpkin relax your body as you breathe out halfway, and then as you drop the pumpkin, let all the emotion fall away. 
So that's something you can do standing. It's something you can do lying down. It's something you can do walking. It's something you can do sitting. Uh, I often like to do it as sort of a loose slow motion dance. I put on some music and I'll just move around like I'm making up a new kind of Tai Chi. And then when I feel like it's time to kind of go into some self-regulation and self-awareness, I'll remember the thing that really poked my bear or my lizard that day. And then I'll bring into my embodied self the, I'll imitate and kind of make fun of myself because I, I have a weird sense of humor where I like to be playful with myself. And I'm like, okay, this is how I reacted to that person. Uh, and then I hold that feeling as I move around and then I really try and feel the emotion of what's going on because I'm kind of play acting it out. And then when I start to release it with my breath, I really want to move in a way that lets my body open. You know, say if I hold tension in my shoulders, I want my collarbones to feel all stretchy, like they're made of bungee cords. And then my hands are going to do whatever they need to do to release the, the emotional stagnation or the what we call the chi that's trapped in the body. So it becomes a rhythm of inhale, inhale the rest of the way, exhale, exhale all the way. Imitate your stress, empathize with the feeling, release the tension, release the emotion. Inhale halfway, rest of the way, release the tension, release the emotion, imitate the feeling, empathize with the feeling, release the tension, release the emotion. You can do it walking. Imagine just listening to your tunes or a podcast walking down the road and you're just kind of imitating the tension very subtly. You're kind of aware of that's just like what my dad used to make me feel like when I was nine or something. And then as I release the tension and I let go of the, the conditioned response and, and, and the, maybe the rage I'm feeling about my parents or something, now I'm actively, sequentially, predictively and confidently regulating my state. Because all beings come into being in a state of being. Yeah. And if you can adjust your state <clears throat> incrementally, gradually, playfully, playfully is so important, um, then, you know, you're halfway there. Well, in so much as that we're sitting still and we're just talking about this and just me going through this exercise at my end of the the microphone at my end of the zoom call here um, I can totally feel a sense of um, relaxation to the point where um, I have to be mindful that I'm actually <laughs> on the podcast right. actually I have to actually be a little bit sharper here <laughs> and pay attention to what's going on instead of into a bowl of jelly but I notice the relaxation the relaxation for me is uh, I start to get itchy you know, it's like the tension that I've been holding my body all of a sudden. So I'm resisting scratching. So if you see me squirming on the video, that's why <laughs> I'm actually just getting into it here. Okay, can you move your laptop around just a little bit up and down? Yeah, just because for the people watching it, because Anthony's floating in outer space and now he's literally floating in <laughs> outer space because he's releasing all the tension. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Where did he go? <laughs> Anthony yeah. has returned to the Dow. The podcast will now be hosted by <laughs> Larry the Lizard. <laughs> Larry the Lizard says, actually, Larry the Lizard is really interested in telling people more about Fusion Health Radio and getting into the whole idea of the relaxation response. But first... Oh, cool. uh, 
we should actually give people a sense of who we are uh, out there on the internet. Um, yeah, we, we have some other uh, much more succinct and precise thing to get into, so uh, don't go away. <laughs> yeah, we'll be right back. Uh, Fusion House Radio is uh, the podcast that Michael and I have done for the past five years, four years, 2015, right? Two. No, it's longer than that. Dude, but it's we, still... we had a big break, so it's only really two. Uh, anyways, we've been at this a while. <laughs> he doesn't know how to add as far as I'm concerned. And you can find <laughs> you can find out everything that we're doing online. Go to FusionHealthRadio.com and you can find the archive of things there. Uh, you can actually uh, subscribe to Fusion Health Radio via any one of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, you can follow what Michael's doing with his own practice autoimmunehealthsolutions.com and there's a whole ton of information there about everything that he knows that he's actually written down anyways there's a lot more that he knows um, you can get these uh, videos and you can share them with your friends and you can do that through autoimmunehealthsolutions.com or on Facebook rather oh and also if you are interested in qigong or breathwork meditation uh, I have a website called Soma Dao Qigong S-O-M-A-D-A-O Q-I-G-O-N-G uh, dot com and that's where I teach uh, live weekly classes in Qigong and breathwork and mindfulness and things like that. Lots of places to find out more about whatever it is we're talking about uh, and more of whatever it is we have talked about online. Uh, you can always uh, leave us a comment or a question on uh, Fusion, Health Radio dot, uh, Fusion Health Radio on Facebook, uh, Autoimmune Health Solutions on Facebook, um, Please do let us know what you think, uh, what you like, what you don't like, what you don't understand, what you do understand. Love the comments. Please talk to us. We want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, and if you have a, a really specific topic you'd like us to do a show on, that would be cool because I always like to dive into stuff that's sort of spontaneous. So, mm -hmm. uh, Speaking of spontaneous, how about we get into the rest of the topic here? Okay. Uh, let's, let's get so, back to the, the self-regulation and the relaxation response. Is this the part where we talk about the relaxation response? Well, that's what we were doing with the pumpkin. Got it. So now that we have a basic kind of equation for imitate, empathize, release, and then release the physical, release the emotional, now we have kind of a very basic tool. And there's so many other tools, but, you know, if you've got lots of other ones, great. If you don't have any ones, use that until you're, you're feeling... Um, like Anthony said, like an actual tangible shift in your state. And some people that's two or three breaths, some people that's 20 minutes of doing the same thing over and over again, because it really depends on how loaded um, you are. And this is an important thing to say that uh, any sense of overwhelm is happening in three places. It's happening to you instinctually, the lizard. It's happening to you socially or intuitively, viscerally, which is, again, that intuitive kind of monkey self or Mary the monkey in the sense that it's all about social connection and karma. And then whatever's going on with overwhelm and, and stress is happening existentially. So if we're going to look at a relaxation response practice in a very practical and very thorough way, I think it's got to touch on those three different uh, aspects of being. So... When we're looking at the instinctual part of the relaxation response, the easiest thing for people to do, I think, is to basically take a, a drawing of a human body, even a stick figure, and to start making little squiggles or little X's or whatever you want to do where you hold the most tension. Because for some people, it's your jaw. 
Other people, it could be and or your neck and or your upper shoulders and or your chest that, you know, holds your shoulder blades around in front of you. Or you're just feeling collapsed because, you know, you're not a person who holds tension. You're a person who collapses your, your body's integrity. So you really want to find ways to, to symbolize that from the top of your head through your face, your neck, your shoulders, your wrists and forearms, your elbows, especially your diaphragm and solar plexus. That's got a lot to do with the, the way we hold, especially the, the more uh, intuitive and visceral kind of social uh, instinctual tension that we feel. We all know what butterflies in your stomach feel like, unless you're an alien robot <clears throat> or you're psychotic or something. So. Um, you know, would draw what that feels like. And then, you know, we all hold a certain amount of tension in our groin, in our perennial floor. Um, you know, that can get a bit graphic, so I'm not going to go into that. And a lot of us hold tension with our knees. We hold our knees rigid. We lock our legs straight. Uh, we squeeze our knees together. We curl our toes too much. You know, uh, there's, there's almost an infinite number of possible ways that we embody our instinctual self, our animal self, if you will. So when you draw that thing, it's called a somato map. Now you can start playing with that breath work we just learned, that four stage kind of really basic relaxation breath. And you can get kind of surgical because you could be walking, sitting, lying down, or doing some Tai Chi like made up dance moves or whatever you want to do. You could be doing yoga, uh, I guess. I'm assuming this would fit in. Um, and then you could focus on the breath specifically for your left shoulder, and then your right, and then your jaw, and then your back, and then your uh, sacrum, and then, you know, your butt, or like wherever it is that your map tells you to go, use that map as an actual guide to move through your body. And this is a really great tool if you have a hard time going to sleep. Have your basic map of your top five strategic, you know, lizard brain freaking out places in your body. And when you lie down, do the breath, imitate the tension, empathize with the emotion, release the physical tension, release the emotional sort of reaction or, or uh, belief that you're, you're caught up in some kind of conflict because you're going to sleep. So, you know, give yourself permission to pick up the conflict tomorrow if you decide to or lose it somewhere and you, oh, I can't find it. Oh, well, <laughs> too bad. But that way we actually have a, a progressive ABC, one, two, three, four, throughout your whole body way of allowing your instinctual distress, which is two tenths of a second before your brain. You can't stop it from doing that. That's why the monasteries are monasteries. I've, I've, I mean, I, I committed to being a Taoist priest when I was 17. I ended up becoming a Chinese doctor, committing 25 years to not being a priest because the person I was studying with said, you've been training your whole life. You've had no life experience. If you went to a monastery, you'd get bored. So you're going to go and spend at least 25 years living a normal life, kids, money, job, and then you can decide if you're going to go and be a priest after that. So I've had this affinity for the monastic experience because that's the place when you can really go into the work because you're not going to get poked in the lizard every five minutes because you're living through a global pandemic or something like that because you're in the monastic la-la land of, hey, I don't have to worry about anything. I get my food and I get my qigong and I get my meditation and I get my peace and I get my space. So unless you're living in a monastery, unless I really suck at everything I've learned over the decades I've been doing it, <clears throat> even if you've been practicing something for a long time, we all still need to go into the recycle bin of karma, of, of dealing with the stress of life. 
to believe that you're ever going to be beyond that and still live a normal life is, I think, a little bit, well, let's just say it's projecting. <laughs> anyway, so if we can all admit that we have this lizard brain, animal body, and we can actually respond to it skillfully with a very, very basic exercise you can learn in a podcast, <clears throat> then, you know, you're set for that. When it comes to the more visceral, social, intuitive karmic wounds that we all feel deeply in our solar plexus for the most part, self-regulation begins with connection. Connection, uh, I'm thinking of physical connection with others or was that just well, with mean, ourselves? Well, I mean, a good hug goes a long way. Hmm. Connecting to people through a podcast that shares your belief system or your sense of humor or your relationship with exercise or sex or... Um, cooking or whatever your your go-to stress relief is. I should have said cooking a while ago because cooking is my favorite way to unravel stuff if I'm in the kitchen. It's like, oh, I'm just going to make a really great meal. So whatever mm. way we connect with people through something like a hug, a conversation, making a great meal, being just more patient and kind as a listener, or attending to the kind of connection we get through being present to a conversation. It's amazing to watch the number of people who would rather watch a two and a half hour podcast long form conversation that's a free flowing connection between two people than a five minute news soundbite kind of crap show that we get from mainstream media. Who wants yeah. to watch predictable like moments of human uh, I told you so kind of meaning compared to what it's like to sit down and maybe watch a really great Joe Rogan podcast or some other thing where you, you're actually a part of a conversation that goes on for a couple of hours. So you may not be in the room connecting to people, but you're connecting to people-ness. So even in our present kind of quarantine life, connection and, and ways of response to that, you know, gut feeling of just being really out of sorts with yourself or out of sorts with your relationship that's why those things are so popular, because we get a deep, uh, you know, what I call the monkey mind kind of sense of meaning, because we're touched by the truth. We're touched by the humor. We're touched by the stories. I would think that our video uh, podcasts are as popular as they are, because the style of conversations that we have and the depth of the conversations we have are made that much more meaningful when people actually see us talking about it yeah, when they, because they're in the room as opposed well, to we're all, just... we're all doing the same dance you know it's it's not like anyone's going to get out of this and uh get through life without having a real human life so i i, I love being uh what we call in the bodhisattva tradition it's a buddhist tradition uh about choosing to live your life in the swamp of of human suffering and and guide people towards the beach mm -hmm. instead of trying to be lofty and spend your life in a cave in the mountains you know in, in some aspiration to meet god so i mean none of these are better than the other one but uh, when it comes to this visceral intuitive sense of of finding our wholeness you're going to find it in those really rough and tumble stories that people share about living a real life. Right. Well, it, you know? it, and that's what, that's what I'm suggesting is that when people actually see us on video, as opposed to just hearing the story, for some people, that's more a way that they actually feel the information than well, just Well, 65% it of all conversations are tone of voice, facial expression, and body language. So right. big, big difference, right? Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Um, and then there's the existential part of us. 
And that can get overwhelmed too. In fact, I think that's where it starts for a lot of us now because most of us can kind of self-regulate in a general way, <clears throat> even if it's just eating popcorn or something. Um, so the place we actually spend, I think, a lot of our turmoil nowadays is kind of in, in the machinery of the mind, trying to figure out what's fair, what's right and wrong, what's just in the world. I mean, I don't really spend a lot of time with politics, but watching how the global political systems of the world are telling us what to think and what to do about all of this, and then watching the social uprising and groundswell of what we all think would really be a better idea is a really interesting existential frame for all of us who are trying to understand how to move through this and benefit from this consciously. It's... I don't have an answer to that, but I'm really touched by watching all of the different moving parts of, of the human intention sort itself out. I, I have that sense that a lot of the people who are, um, so friends of mine that I see come up on Facebook who are um, not just standing on one soapbox, they've actually got two soapboxes and then the third one's actually stood up on its end and they're sort of balancing on it <laughs> and they're, they're kind of screaming at the top of their lungs about something, um, 5G or uh, the oh, president right. or wh whatever it is and how that all relates to Corona. And I, I, I just think that uh, people are so somewhere. I think that the anger and the frustration that people have comes from an underlying place of love because they all want us to be safe and healthy. They all want us to take care of each other. Um, there's, there's a, there's a sort of compassion that we have for each other that goes beyond um, the argument that this thing is a bad thing or not. Um, and so when you talk about the, uh, the existential conversations that go on and how that actually drives people, um, I can totally get how that's crazy making for a lot of people and uh, how it's totally not for others. Yeah, and I want to get specific for a minute, and this is going to maybe be... Um... Well, let's just see how this goes, I guess. The thing that's really crazy making for most people in the present media kind of crap storm of people like Trump or um, whatever the 5G thing is about or all of this stuff is what we're really hoping to find in the world is leadership. What we all want as a collaborative collective humanity is a sense of collaborative uh, purpose, but we're so used to finding that through leadership that the flailing unconscious existential crisis is we can't trust our leadership and when it comes to the kind of hierarchy of consciousness in Taoism the thing that we really want to find is an inner sense of existential leadership or a conscious truth that's true enough for us to follow as a guiding light or a guiding force or maybe a list of some ideas that you have in your mind so that we can actually feel like we can guide our life with leadership from the inside out. So this is this is the, the crazy making thing for me is, I mean, I have a bit of an indigenous background and I've spent uh, some time teaching Aboriginal edu education and um, the most amazing part of that experience in my life and, and that part of my kind of cultural milieu in, in my family and in my community is we already have the leadership, they're the elders. We don't need to vote for them. We just need to find the people who have lived a full life and have been through the, the teachings and the practices. And you can always meet them because they all act like Yoda. 
And it's not because they have degrees, or maybe they do, or that they've been to a war, or maybe they have, or they've been through residential school stuff, or maybe they haven't, or they've been through addiction and they're now they're more wise, or all the things that are happening, say, in First Nations reality in Canada right now, and I'm assuming it's similar in Native American experience in America and through South and Central and you know other parts of America, Australia, New Zealand, you know wherever else Indigenous people still live in the world, kind of under the boot heel of modern culture. Um, you know, we have this memory of who we are and how to be in the world, and uh, we just need to find the wise elders to demonstrate how to be in the world, not to tell us who we are and what to do. So for me to, to be watching YouTube videos or, or stuff on social media and watch modern Western culture honestly flail around this lack of how to trust our leadership is because we don't have any elders anymore in the Western world. We just have politicians or charismatic actors or uh, often sometimes really eloquent speakers <clears throat> you know, who, who can give us some guidance, but it's, it's outside of the eloquent speakers, it's really hard to, to know who to trust. And that's the existential crisis. And the only way we can respond to that ex existential crisis is to start, be I guess, beginning to aware that consciousness is, is really up to you. And you can use consciousness in the meditative state of moving to you know what we might call a, a state of no mind or a state of uh, complete compassion and loving kindness or other states, but that that's that's in a way uh, kind of like erasing what's on a chalkboard. You know, two days later you're still going to be looking for existential leadership in your life. So it's nice to be able to to soothe the mind in that way, but I think we all also want to find a sense of existential truth. You know, and whatever that is for each of us is a big part of maturing and growing up and, and knowing that we can dedicate ourselves to something that truly matters to us. And if that's a, the ecological future of our planet, and we can do it as mature, healthy adults, not as reactive t uh, adolescents, then that's what we're going to see happen, because we all know that's what we hold to be true. And I mean, the, my, my big epiphany in the last month and a half is, as soon as the world opens up and I can start gathering together of enough people, I'm going to start an international foundation for res, uh, regenerative farming to start rebuilding topsoil uh, and, and make sure that permaculture uh, and food sovereignty is a part of every community in some way. I have no idea how that's going to work, but it's the thing that's always on my mind is I cannot wait for the world to wake up again and start to meet together and make things happen because that's the big existential truth for me is let's save the earth. Let's save human capacity. Let's let's grow up a little bit around who we are. So I'm not suggesting anyone hear my words and take them on as your words. I'm speaking my truth because it's mine. I'm just encouraging everyone from that existential place of overwhelm to get patient enough and thorough enough and clear enough with what you hold to be so fundamentally true you can commit your life to it. I would suggest then you that have that's meaning. probably a very uh, profound uh, bit of self-regulation. Well, that's the only way so you can regulate the, 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 the need of the mind for meaning is to find meaning. And you're not going to find it in control. You're not going to find it in fairness. You're not going to find it in a punitive justice reality. You're going to find it in an active, productive, meaningful action. Mm. 
Mm. Whatever that is for you. I'm, I'm not here to tell anybody about anything else than, hey, there's this great breathwork exercise that's pretty fundamental. <laughs> Try that. <laughs> and this concludes the shortest podcast that we've ever done. <laughs> Do this breathing exercise and finish. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know, that made it come across as a bit preachy, but I'm really wanting to just inspire people to realize that we're all living three lives. We're living an instinctual life that informs you of what's going on in your world, even if it's very subconscious, two-tenths of a second before you. We're all living this visceral, intuitive, social, dynamic existence that's 65% of every conversation you have and happens one-tenth of a second before you. And then there's you riding your lizards and monkeys around. <laughs> and if you're not, you have to do something about those things to recapture the truth that you're free to re rediscover you. Mm -hmm. And then you're truly walking a life of self-regulation and hopefully self-expression. You know, in, in indigenous culture, all we really want is everyone to show up completely so we get everything we can of you, from you, for us as a community, because that's the blessing of you. The blessing of you, you know, is to be you. And and that means we have to kind of line up our, you know, I was going to say ducks, but our lizards and monkeys and, you know, dreaming humans in, in our lives to to get back to our true self. And, and you know, I, I, I feel preachy right now, so I, I feel like I should just be quiet. But um, I'm just so passionate about the, the reality that this this is just fundamental to being a human being, fundamental to being an animal, fundamental to being a social tribal animal and or tribal human. And and hopefully that that'll be what we decide to do after this is or with this next day, if we have another month of, of, you know, social distancing and quarantine, please, 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 if I could make a request of any human being, take the time to find yourself or find at least doorways into what's between you and yourself for the rest of us. That almost sounds like a, uh, an invitation to an opportunity in being uh, authentic, real, uh, connected, grounded, um, healthy, alive. Um, that's some pretty powerful preaching. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't really preaching, it's just a great <laughs> idea, I think. Uh, I just... <clears throat> It's sort of an indigenous thing and a Taoist thing to be aware of an ethic of non-interference. So I, I don't like to tell people anything. I just like to share experience and, and in, encourage people to find uh, their own truth, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, something in this conversation and how you've described that, I mean, you mentioned the idea around the topsoil idea. I'm just going to paraphrase. Um, sounds like a very healing and self-loving thing to be investing in that idea for yourself. And um, however it is that our listeners and our viewers are actually going to take that information, maybe they'll join your email list. So because they got religion around composting and they want to help you. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe they'll take some vitamin D and vitamin C and some fish oil like the Doctors Without Borders just to make sure your immune system has, you know, got the gloves off. <laughs> sure, but there, there, there's an opportunity there just based on the example that you just gave of yourself, I mean, that's a very personal thing for you to share that, you know, we can all do that. We can all find that kind of, um, I don't know, uh, bearing on the compass um, uh, and start following it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all that in a podcast. <laughs> Who knew it was possible? 
Well, if we can find self-regulation and we can find our version of a relaxation response, we are, we're now coming back to ourselves, we're coming home to ourselves. And, and that, that's a journey for each of us. So I, I really hope some parts of this have, have touched each of the people who watch it or listen to it and have encouraged you as, as an individual to give yourself the time and the self-respect and the patience to, to go in there and see what's really going on and, and you know, get into it. Mm. Something about that whole process, that invitation, that idea, uh, gives me a sense of um, calm um, and makes me feel less caged in by COVID. Um, and I'd say that's a pretty good thing. Uh, and my hope is that our, our listeners and our viewers are, are feeling that too. Um, I'm just uh, aware of the time. Was there another sort of tip or idea that you wanted to go any further with this? And for those of you listening to the podcast, Michael's shaking his head now. <laughs> You've got to be aware of you've got two audiences here now, Michael. Um, uh, I was thinking of what I was going to add or not add, so my mind was in two places. So, yeah, no, I think that that covers what I, I had notes to say, and uh, I didn't expect it to get quite as... Um, awesome. ...personal about what I would consider guidance, because I'm really careful with that. But uh, I hope it came across with, with some truth and authenticity and, and meaning. Well, I'll speak personally. It did for me. Uh, and I'm going to suggest that it did for our listeners and uh, viewers as well. So um, let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, if you've got uh, concerns or questions or comments, beefs, bouquets, however you want to say it, about whatever it is we've shared on the podcast today, uh, please do get in touch. Uh, you can find Fusion Health Radio on Facebook. You can find Autoimmune Health Solutions on Facebook, autoimmunehealthsolutions.com, fusionhealthradio.com. Um, all over the place wherever you can find a podcast uh, please do get in touch uh, share if you liked it uh, share if you didn't <laughs> we just want the shares um, and uh, if you want to spend some time learning about qigong while you're stuck with not a lot of other fun things to do uh, check out the soma dao qigong website and and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of, of, of that project and that you know the that people can access those kind of practical uh, teachings and and actually learn the basics of qigong um, kind of step by step so if you're looking for that kind of an opportunity check out that website because um, it, it's 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 my favorite thing in the world so I, I hope it would touch other people we need to put a few more links into the uh, the description of the video so be sure to put that one in there as well me or you <laughs> I, i'm pointing at you oh okay thanks <laughs> Because you know how to spell it. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> uh, great conversation again, Michael. Thanks for uh, hanging out on Zoom and uh, recording with me tonight. And uh, I guess we'll see you in the next podcast. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. And blessings on your, uh, what I'm calling the socioeconomic puberty of our lives. Because everything is shifting and let's, let's get centered. Great idea. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Anthony. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.